0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down in Perth, Australia on February 12th headlined by a super fight lightweight title fight between champion Islam Makachev and featherweight champ, Alexander Volkanovsky. We're diving into the prelims right now, but they featured pre- prelim between Tyson Pedro and recently reacquired Modestus Bukowskis, who was given the chop after that brutal leg kick TKO from Khalil Roundtree that snapped his thigh. Mm. And, uh, Went over to Cage Warriors, won a couple of fights there, and is now back in the UFC. Otherwise on a prelim card that um they're definitely fights and they're definitely fights featuring guys from Oceania. And that's uh-huh. about it.
2: How am I feeling this way, the way I'm feeling right now? Looking at a the the undercard, even just the first prelim, the featured prelim you mean with elves (laughs) no i just mean look at the fight that's at the top of this card
1: oh the preland the feature first the the first one we're going to talk about the yeah yeah
2: not with the elves not with the elves one of my favorite b movies (laughs) um how am i feeling this way zane what's going on
1: tyson pedro modesto Pukowskis. I mean, oh, I
2: just mean, just explain the way I'm feeling to me, which is not what's good. The
1: feeling is that Tyson Pedro <laughs> was gone from this sport for f- four years
2: uh-huh.
1: due to numerous health complications, uh-huh. and has come back and fought the absolute lowest end of the division and looked good, but it's still really hard to know what is left of him who is this man this 31 year old former top prospect yeah who you know was part he was part of shogun who was late career you know shogun really isn't losing as often as i thought he would Mm -hmm. stretch Mm -hmm. was knocking out tyson pedro a guy who before his injuries was running headlong into traps that it seemed like he should have been able to avoid. Yeah. So it's really hard to know coming back still, you know, a, a, a year now into his comeback. Yeah. Who is this Tyson Pedro dude? Like who, who is, what do we expect out of him? Is it right to put him, to expect him to be a top 15 fighter? And on the other side, you've got Modestus Kawskis. Who
2: is a dark sorcerer
1: is a dark sorcerer. Um, and who came to the UFC with a game that looked surprisingly incomplete. It's like heavyweight, so it's not really surprising, but
2: no, his game looked perfectly adequate. If I'm being honest, Looked
1: perfectly adequately.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And it was showed up entirely incomplete in the UFC. It was a negative uh you know uncreative un- range kicking game with punching that had to be really overloaded on regionally and guys just stormed it.
2: I don't know how i uh, I tricked you into uh, breaking down the matchup, even though it's supposed to be me yeah no, all not I was even really break- asking is like why do I feel so tired?
1: Well, you feel so tired because, like, we bad. have two guys who failed at very basic tests <laughs> in the UFC already. Uh-huh. And the principal draw of them fighting now is, well, they've been gone for a while. Yeah. That's the draw.
2: And one of them is from Australia.
1: They, put, they, they, put, they, took, they both took big steps back and they both were gone from the UFC for a while for different reasons. And that's the draw. Like, we have seen these guys take on mid-tier light heavyweights already and just fail. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so the question is, the only question to answer is, or to ask is, are they better for being
2: gone? Yeah, I mean, I think Tyson... Pedro, I believe it is pronounced. Is it, is it Pedro. I think oh. that's how they say it. It's sort of like when you find out that they say Megan Anderson. Um, yeah. He's Australians, man. Can't trust You um, really can't. I will say that he has definitely gotten better. What is difficult to ascertain is how um, durable those improvements are against an opponent who doesn't suck complete ass. Yeah. Because that is the unfortunate truth of, uh, of, of Pedro's last two performances. Mm-hmm. is that I mean, yes, he is like showing a better strike selection. He's showing, I think, some better movement. He's show, he looks a little more like patient overall.
1: The big thing that I think seems to have happened is that somebody really taught him to faint.
2: Yeah, that is a major... Couple of years. But yeah, and... when you're dealing with a, pr- a pretty large deficit of skill, like a small yeah nuance like that like feints are massively important yep it's They drilled
1: out. it into him, and it's made him more patient because now the same the same high that he used to get out of going in and like swinging wild at somebody and just right. like going all out and throwing himself into somebody's offense head first he can now get that same that same thrill with like a hip twitch, you know right. It's, He's going all Elvis out there where it's just, you know, driving the girls
2: crazy. Right. (laughs) All elves out there. Um, All elves out (laughs) there. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like these these opponents are ass. Yes. Like they're really uh, unathletic. They are smaller. Um, and they're just like bad strikers. Like mm-hmm. they, they just, and they're,
1: they're just the most bound to fall
2: for feints, guys. Absolutely. Been. And, and they fall for feints in a really exploitable way. Cause they're both really slow. Yeah. So like, Oh, like when they bite in a faint, you get like a two second window to figure out what to do. Yep. Um, yeah. And so then I, I watch those and everybody's really impressed with Pedro. And then I go back and I watch like his fight with OSP. And I'm like, he hasn't changed that much has he? Yeah. The the faints I think you're right are like a really major improvement. And 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 even then, you know, like he he dropped OSP really quickly yeah. into that fight.
1: There's a reason that Pete
2: Pe- Pedro Say it however you like. I mean Pedro is wrong whether that's how they say. Yeah. It.
1: There's a reason that Pedro was considered to be a very top prospect. Yeah. When he first hit the UFC. The talent is obviously there. Yeah. It's just that, you know, he was raised to fight by by somebody who stabbed him for fun. Like That's true, yes. His dad stabbed him, and like he and his dad yeah. are like super close, but they're like just like the most kind of deranged close that you can imagine.
2: Yeah, are you close in the way where you get the sense that Tyson is plotting his revenge. Exactly, like, and they they would both find it hilarious. You got me, son. Boy, I didn't know that situation. I have not. I have not been up on that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then yeah, but it's also not super easy to say what it was that wasn't working for for Tyson before. Just that, like, his opponents could like figure out how to do something, and he kind of just tended to collapse. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, it's it's like maybe he's extended the period in which he can be dominating a smaller, slower opponent uh, a bit by introducing some a, a few more nuances to his striking. But I have yet to see anything to indicate that he won't collapse when things start to go wrong.
1: Yeah. It's hard. To, it's impossible to know. We, right. we just haven't been given I have to assume he still
2: will. I mean, I have to assume. Yeah. That, I have no reason to assume otherwise, basically. Yeah. But, um, you know, is Modestus Bukowskis a make somebody collapse kind of fighter. Not at all. Right. Is this a guy who's going to find a little advantage, create a little crack and then wedge it open to start dominating? Not really. You know, he had that fight with Chuck Campbell, five and one Mm -hmm. took him more than three rounds. Yeah. Um, to like find a way to actually get him out of there. He's just, uh, he is himself too patient. Too passive Um, you know, pretty solid straight puncher, moves okay, but he doesn't exactly jump on opportunities. So, I don't know, man. (laughs) I don't know. I I suppose I'll, uh, I don't know. I mean, the the real thing is it's just, like, it's just harder to pick Pedro uh, against anything resembling a decent opponent, which Bukowskis is, because, like, he he's he is the classic only win, wins when he's winning the whole time, and it happens in the first round fighter, and that has still been the case in these last two fights where everyone's been mm-hmm. so amazed by his improvements. Um, yeah. So I just don't. I, I have I have no reason to think that even if just Bukowskis just kind of stays in there, that, that's true.
1: But, but I Pedro still think
2: won't that, melt down. and he won't just melt down, but it does usually still take the opponent like doing something about it. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I guess I'll take Bukowskis because I, I do know that, yeah, like this, he is a fighter capable of keeping up a decent pace for a, you know, a decent pace if it's brought to him yeah. for a long time. He's a pretty calm fighter. Um, and yeah, he's definitely more reliable uh, in the deep waters of any fight than Tyson Pedro, who, uh, yeah, just completely blows up when he can't crush somebody basically out of the gate. So, I guess I'll take Bukowskis. Well,
1: I'm glad that I'm glad of that at least that we'll uh, we'll have a difference of uh, picks here. Mm-hmm. I, I just, for me, I think that the feints are probably enough. They're enough to get uh, Pedro into the middle into the middle area of light heavyweight that he should be occupying. Yeah. I think just that alone is enough to confuse enough fighters that, you know, uh, that he can, he can pick up wins when he should be picking them up. Cause it's just, it's the kind of division that just doesn't have, you know, There's a lot of kudalaba in this division. (laughs) Kudalaba's all the way down. Kudalaba's all the way down. And Bukowskis, it just, there is, the durability is kind of there. Kind of. Kind of. The, uh, you know, the size is there. But just everything else is not.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, he just doesn't put anything. He, given his best, given an opponent doing nothing, he does nothing too. You know, you know, you
2: you knew mm-hmm. um, I mean, I I think I think I mean you can you can overstate it to a degree. I mean, like yeah. he, it's not like he wasn't finding moments against like Roundtree, for example, especially against sure. aggressive opponents. Yeah, Kauskas is going to connect on a lot of straight punches as long as they are kind of pressuring him. That's what he wants to do, I think. As is- long
1: as he can like rinky dink his shoulders into place for him, my God. I- I feel like I've rarely seen a fighter where you can see like each individual muscle have to engage to throw <laughs> a straight punch. Yeah, <laughs> like nothing wow. comes natural. Nothing about his punching motion comes naturally to him, but it's been drilled to be proper form. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I'm, I got to pick. I think the the fainting of Pedro is just gonna throw a huge wrench in him. I think he's going to bite on it really hard. And I don't, I think if Pedro brings that to him as pressure, he's not going to be able to respond to it.
2: So. Yeah, it could be. I just think it happened. It, it's the, it's actually a style matchup where Bukowskis does know what to do. He doesn't have to like find a path because Pedro wants to back people up and yeah. And, and draw things out of them. And what he, what he doesn't want to draw out of them is like, you know, relatively clean, straight punches and footwork. Yeah, so, I don't know. I, I I I think there's a chance you see one or the other guy just being very flummoxed by a pretty basic
1: dynamic. The thing is, though, that what's really flummoxed Pedro over the over over time hasn't been like straight punches and footwork. It's been well, he hasn't countered it.
2: It's like yeah. heavyweight. He hasn't encountered... Yeah. He hasn't had the chance to find out if he gets That's plummeted true. by straight punches and footwork.
1: Usually it's f- the physicality of tying up with guys and yes. his expectation that he can just grab them and horse them around and being like, oh, wow, this guy is actually really
2: strong. Yeah. That is absolutely the case. I, what I'm taking a flyer on here is that, like, he, he had, literally hasn't faced, like, anything remotely like a decent boxer. Yeah. Wow. You know? That,
1: that, that will still be true after this, but... <laughs>
2: But <laughs> he's closer than anyone else. He's sure. closer. okay. He's closer than Harry Hunsucker. Yeah, fair enough. And and or OSP or or whoever you know. Caskis opened at plus
1: seven hundred, dropped to plus two eighteen. Is currently at plus one ninety nine. Pedro opened at minus one thousand, jumped what? up to minus two seventy, and two seventy six is currently minus two forty six. This is a plus minus one fifty
2: kind of fight. I mean, at least at least it ended in a it's something like a yeah reasonable range minus 1000 to open
1: i have to What's assume with that i have to assume that it's a re- a, a, a regional sports book that they're yeah. getting their opening line off of that is you know maybe the same kind of people that set a line for uh who was it there was it like 900 oh yeah jack de la madalena at minus 900 yeah And, like, they are just pandering to a local market that they know is going to bet local.
2: Yeah, but is that a good idea? Don't you?
1: Mm. Yeah. To have a a guy be like, if you know that people are going to bet on Pikes Pedro no matter what, then, yeah, you put him in a ridiculously
2: wide line. That makes sense. I had to think about it. It involved math, so it took me five yeah. seconds of silent squinting to realize that that <laughs> makes that that makes. Sense.
1: You're lucky. You're lucky that it was that it was at nine and, and not eleven. Otherwise, you would have had to take the socks
2: off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting very hot, Zane. I'm sweating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right.
1: That brings us to a featherweight bout: Joshua Kulabau versus Melsik Bogdasarian. and uh. This is a well-booked fight. It is, yeah. It, it, Kulabau, you could say, kind of deserves a little more after that draw against Jordan and then beating Nerd and Beke and Sungwoo Choi.
2: Mm-hmm. But Kulabau has really comported himself quite well at this level.
1: But the truth is, is that he's most likely to be in an infinite loop of fighting guys like Melsik Bogdasarian and Wu Choi and Shailan Nerdembeke. Yeah, it's true. Of just a constant parade of mid-card action fighters where every now and then he's gonna lose really badly. And a lot of times he's gonna come through with like a sneaky good fight because not many, you know, we've talked about the the Bilal Muhammads, the um Iron Turtles, um the downjungs jungs, the, uh, or not Do- mm-hmm. down jungs, but, par- uh, uh, Park
2: there was the Sung- other guy whose no. name I'm now forgetting again. You're thinking of Junior Park. Junior oh. Park. Junior Park.
1: Oh my God. Junior Park. Yes. And, um, and the middleweight guy. guy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we've forgotten again.
1: Yeah. Uh, who fought the Diaz guy.
2: Maximov, uh, Yeah.
1: Even uh, though we man. like him. Keep I, mean, I, I gotta i gotta dig this up because it's just gonna bother me so much okay nick maximov uh jacob Malkun. that's right the jacob Malkuns, the joshua kulebao's the jenny young parks these these are the fighters out there that are athletically underwhelming and just show up with a plan for everyone, and they make you realize how few other fighters show up with a plan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you see the guys that do it when they have to do it, and you're like, oh, that's what it looks like when you actually change your approach for everybody.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And um, that, I mean, honestly, if if Kulabau shows up prepared, Melsik Bogdasarian is a very winnable fight. Because mm-hmm. He kicks like a mule. He is utterly confused about what to do with his hands. And he doesn't really have a defensive plan or any other plan, but be fast and dynamic from range and kick really hard. You know, Mm -hmm. Bagdasarian is the prototype of, guy figuring out what kind of fight he's going to have in the middle of the fight he's having. And usually that just means defaulting to a range kicking attack because that's where he's most comfortable. Yeah. And that leaves a lot of room to, you know, go out and catch a kick and take somebody down or to push them against the fence and just kind of grind on them and be busy to land a counter inside of a wild punch. These are all things that Kulabau is very capable of doing while at the same time absolutely getting kicked twice as hard as anything he can land.
2: Yeah. Although I will say Kulabau, he does tend to hurt people. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think part of that is just being smart enough to know when to surprise him.
2: Yeah, he's accurate. You know, he's got pretty good yeah. timing. And, and, yeah, he does seem to, to find the uh, the right openings. When he gets in with his hands, he does, he does tend to shake his opponents up. Despite yeah not visibly looking like a power hitter.
1: Definitely. So I'm, I'm going to pick him here.
2: Yeah.
1: I think this is a very winnable, you know, it's certainly, um, a a more dissectable opponent than Charles Jourdain,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. who, uh, fought his way to a very, you know, hard battled draw. And, uh, Yeah, otherwise, you know, maybe a lot like the Sung Wu Choi fight, except with the kicks instead of the punches. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's a really violent range attack out there waiting, but a lot of different paths to solve that and not have to deal with that if you're willing to not go and reset from distance every time you throw one strike, Mm -hmm. which is what so many of Bagdasayan's opponents have done to this point. To keep him winning
2: fights. Yeah. No, I think Kulabao is definitely capable and we'll probably find out that the right thing to do is to pressure and yeah. stand Bogdasarian's face at middle distance. And um, look for yeah, counting think... books, clinch him up, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of... Yeah, it always takes a lot for me to be convinced by a guy like Bogdasarian's game, honestly. Yeah. His comfort zone is something that is like a range that it's pretty easily penetrated because uh, kicks aren't actually a great way of maintaining distance. Yeah. Uh, if you have a mind to crash through them, it's, you know, a kick is not a jab, like, mm-hmm. um, it's not something that like, oh you might run into this, especially because it's, you know, the guy can throw some sidekicks and stuff, but a sidekick isn't even, isn't even as good as say like a teep, which yeah. I would still argue is not quite as diverse uh, as a flexible, in its function as a jab.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you can generate a lot of force with the side kick. You can, yeah. ha, you can be very fast with a teep, but the, the true nature of both strikes is that to throw them, you have to get up on one leg. You're on one leg. And if you're on one leg, your opponent has a clear opportunity to push you over and to push forward and to take the distance and to take the momentum away from you because you're going to be off
2: balance one of the major benefits of a jab is that it takes like next to zero time to recover from throwing yeah whereas that is functionally untrue of even the fastest kicker because he has yep. to put his foot back down
1: yeah you know um, even somebody like yair who throws a ton of violent kicks yeah. and throws them in huge volume and throws them in huge variety often ends up unbalanced and giving up range and having his opponent crash in on him because it's just really hard to maintain balance when you're when, when you're kicking a lot and having somebody know that kick, getting through your kicks is going to be key
2: to them yeah and so unless uh, Bogdasarian one of these days unveils like a uh, the the boxing game that like Umar Nurmagomedov just showed off mm-hmm. which i was endlessly impressed by especially because i didn't see it coming <laughs> yeah um then i'm gonna take a guy cool like about it's 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 right there on the table for him to just yeah again just stay in his face put a pace on him and uh, and work him with some boxing so yeah
1: and it's it's notable too that you know while he tko'd colin anglin in the second round bagdasarian's His ability to be a dynamic finisher has largely dried up at the UFC level. Yeah. He can throw one or two strikes at a time really hard. But everybody knows what's coming. They know what his plan is. They know what he's trying to do. And they're durable enough usually to to eat one or two strikes and come back. And he's going to be out there. He's going to reset every time. You know? Mm -hmm. He is the guy... The reason you don't want to be out there resetting with Bogdasarian is because he's going to reset, and that's your opportunity to do something else. And it, you know, he's not—he's not a—he's not, not going to create a lot of easy knockouts for himself with that kind of style.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, if I, if it's going to be a three-round fight, I gotta assume Kulabao is going to come out prepared to win rounds. He's been good at it. He's been great at it.
2: Mhm. It really has. Yeah, it, he has the, he has the ultimate thing that all these guys need to uh, to even come close to winning at this level, which is just preparation and and discipline that he just yeah. when he knows what to do. He sticks to it and is like perfectly willing to accept that. Yeah, like that, like you said, you're going to get hit with a, a kick that is way harder than anything you can throw. And that is just part of winning. Yeah. None of these little tactical missteps are a loss as long as you're continuing to stick to the game plan, you're winning.
1: Yeah, I mean, and this is a dude too. He came up fight, you know, with a he got to the UFC with an eight and zero record built on terrible competition, mm-hmm. and so it really shows how good his his mental game is because he's a subpar athlete who has not been battle hardened to get here, you know? Yeah. These are not lessons learned through the depths of a, you know, 20 fight career where he's had to just kind of figure everything out on the way. The, the dude is, you know, yeah, he, he, he had he had the right ideas against Jalen Turner when he made yeah. his short notice debut up a division against a, a guy who is functionally a welterweight.
2: ways, Yeah, uh, I think Kulabau has even more than a lot of these fighters, a, a pretty remarkable sort of poise and uh, yeah. Determination to his approach. I, I would be absolutely shitting my pants off if I was fighting somebody like Jalen <laughs> Turner, yeah. right? On short notice, n- no less. Yeah. Yeah, he always comports himself very well.
1: Odds on the bout, Kulabau is dead even with Bogdasarian. Opened at plus 110, dropped to minus 117, currently minus 112. Bogdasarian opened at minus 130, jumped up to minus 104, currently minus 110. I think Kulabao should be a favorite, honestly.
2: Yeah, but, I, I don't think Bakhosarian has proven to be all that uh, impressive.
1: Yeah, he's not finishing people. His fights where he doesn't finish people often end up looking closer than they they should. Mm-hmm. And Kulabao, he you know he has a knack for creating gritty wins like this. This doesn't, I can see the reason that the odds should still be close. I'm not saying that Kulabau should be like a huge favorite or something, but just if I'm going to lean one way, it's towards Kulabau's round winning style over Bogdasarian's general athletic
2: talents. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, that brings us to a flyweight battle. Shannon Ross, Clinton Rodriguez, Clinton Rodriguez, as it may be. God knows. God knows those um, damn well. the Yeah, I'll just say it's the Portuguese's fault because Brazil would didn't, you know, they wouldn't have this damn language if it weren't for the Portuguese. No, it's the Portuguese.
2: Yeah. The many ills they have visited upon humanity. Mm-hmm. Those nasal Spanish speaking bastards. <laughs> um, yeah. So we got a flyweight fight here. Um, UFC continues to just sort of bulk out the flyweight roster.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and i i do say bulk intentionally because uh they do keep they do keep managing to find flyweights where i'm like i'm not that impressed by this guy um yeah shannon ross is one of these guys Clayton rodriguez was one of these guys i've now seen him in the ufc Uh, i know i think exactly how impressed to be by him now and i think he's probably going to have a hard time with shannon ross which is not to say that I like the look of Shannon Ross's game. Yeah. Uh, particularly Shannon Ross's punching. I hate it. He's yes. really awkward combination puncher. Um, he, 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 he strikes me as a guy with like very stiff hips. Because mm-hmm. when he throws, it's like he does the thing most MMA people do when they're throwing a right hand. His back foot just instantly flies off the ground um a thing so common that many people watching don't even know that you're not supposed to do that um but the whole his whole body like has to like fling itself forward when he throws a right hand he kind of has to he
1: has stumble. to chuck it, in, in, to chuck so it. Words. In, in to you know in, in several meanings
2: <laughs> yeah the most chuck liddell of punches yeah um It's not even as smooth as Chuck. I mean, let's be honest, Chuck had a kind of feel for his own mess of of a punching style. Um, So, yeah, and then he has to kind of bodily go forward. But he is a patently aggressive fighter. Yes. Who like if his if he wasn't comfortable with the idea of getting into wrestling exchanges and getting into clinches by accident, he'd have a problem Mm -hmm. because that's how his punching operates. But he is. He likes that. Maybe it's why he learned to punch the way he does. The goal is to cover distance. Mm -hmm. And um, that's that just sounds and looks not that dissimilar from CJ Vergara. Yeah, who I mean, Vergara is a better boxer, I think he's tougher.
1: That's a big mark in Vergara's favor.
2: That is a thing. That's true. Um, Because Rodriguez is a pretty powerful striker.
1: Yeah, Rodriguez is the kind of fighter where I, I just wish he wasn't here.
2: At yeah, this, right. I just feel like he has more potential than he's probably going to realize in the UFC. Yeah. He
1: he he's at the UFC at a point where his style has not been honed to be a flyweight effective style. He's not nearly active enough. He yeah. gives too much for a guy who should be who has the potential to be a, a, a top-tier athlete, you know. Yeah, I he,
2: think so. He's fast.
1: Yeah. He's powerful. He's tough and durable and sure. gritty. And he has some beautiful single techniques.
2: It's true. But he just let CJ Vergara boss him around. Yeah. Uh, just like just slow methodical pressure. And you could also see that 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 nice, crisp, singular technique started to fall apart when he was called on to make like several succession, se- several decisions in rapid succession mm-hmm. where like even some of the good ideas he was having, he just wasn't executing them well. He would throw a counter and just like, you know, it would be an inch overthrown or an inch underthrown and just, great idea doesn't actually, it lands but not clean. Yeah. And then Vergara comes back and just cracks him with just like a single jab. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it looks like a much less meaningful punch, but it lands with way more effect. And this yeah. kind of exchange happened over and over against Vergara. Uh, it just—he just looked very uncomfortable. He ended up looking quite timid. Yep. Because Vergara didn't mind getting into exchanges and was perf- was really happy to just walk forward through them and keep his game going. Um. So yeah, the durability could be an issue, but I do look at Ross and I see this—this this is a dude who does know he's going to get hit. It doesn't really yep. change the way he fights, and he's probably going to stay in Rodriguez's face, and he is going to um, find some wrestling opportunities because of that too. Especially because Rodriguez has also not yet learned not to fire off a bunch of kicks when somebody is pressuring the hell out of him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just kind of take this as a Rodriguez's inexperience combined with a, a rough style matchup. I'm not really impressed by Ross, but uh, I agree with you. I don't think Rodriguez is really ready yet.
1: I'm still gonna pick Rodriguez here. I, this is me. This is me. Hold clinging to hope. Mm -hmm. clinging to life because i think he i think the right experience and the right training and all that like it might just be that it'll be five years of hell that gets rodriguez to being a top tier fighter might never happen but it might also just be you know one of those things where he has to travel the the most difficult path to becoming an elite talent but the potential is there Mm and. One of the big things for Roth was, just like you know, he didn't win his fight on the Contender
2: series. Yeah, he got flattened,
1: and he didn't win it in part because he was very hurtable, and he got hurt. It wasn't just like oh, he got knocked out eventually. He mm-hmm. got hurt multiple times through that fight,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Clayton Rodriguez has the power to do that you know he he is not less wild or he's not more wild than Vinicius Salvador he's less he's less aggressive he's less functionally you know front foot and confident yeah which is going to be a big problem makes this fight a toss up but I'm I really think that I really think Ross is just not made to compete at a high level at flyweight Mm mm-hmm Honestly, and I no, I I
2: agree. I I really do agree.
1: And I think this is the kind of fight where, you know, I think unfortunately for him, it's just going to be really hard to win any bouts at this level, even against good matchups. Because if durability is a factor at flyweight, then you're in
2: you're in trouble. Yeah, that may be. I don't I don't think Ross is out there getting knocked out every fight.
1: No, he's not out there getting knocked Um, out every it's
2: still definitely a problem.
1: Yeah. It's a problem with the way he fights and the the athleticism he lacks. Yeah. Like C.J. Vergara made it work because he is, you know, he really is incredibly tough, just
2: hyper durable. It's true. And and I mean, part of it is too because he he is actually genuinely in like a good fundamental position. Yeah. Like he is a better boxer than Shannon Ross, no question. Yeah, uh, his just his stance. The fact that he's not exposing himself constantly, he's balanced, enables him to take shots. Mm-hmm. But but I will I will emphasize that a lot of the shots he was able to take, they weren't clean because Rodriguez wasn't comfortable enough to land them cleanly. This is true. He, he was flailing, you know, the, uh, the
1: other big thing that I I like, though, that I'm picking Rodriguez for is
2: mm-hmm.
1: no matter how discouraged and tired he got in that fight against Vergara.
2: Yeah. He threw heat
1: all the way to the end of it. That's true. He was exhausted, and in the third round, he was still standing in
2: and throwing serious hooks. Yeah, it'd be a lot easier to pick Ross if he had shown a tendency to crumble or something, but he did not crumble. Yeah. So So I think I just I I just think this is an issue of timing, really, is why. Yeah,
1: it is. I mean, this is a fight that I would I think Rodriguez would absolutely win with better prep with more time, you know, and maybe the Vergara fight taught him the lessons that he needed to learn. That That's always, there's always that hope. Great athletes, they can jump, they can make jumps forward.
2: For sure.
1: It's, you know, we just have to hope he didn't learn the Alexander Hernandez lesson. Yeah. Where he's just then in perpetual career
2: limbo from oh, here God. on out. Because, it becomes technical.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah if he becomes capital T technical, he's definitely going to lose this because it's not going to be that kind of fight.
1: Yeah. But even, you know, even in the Hernandez world of that kind of thing, Hernandez still went out there and would just demolish lesser athletes when, you know, he could be the physical boss. So that's true. That is true. I I am going to pick Rodriguez to win via athletic cheating where he will probably just lose the first round of this fight. And then land some, like, wild jumping switch kick. Yeah. And people will be like, oh, my God, what a prospect here. Fight, you know, Tajiro Landbakov next.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and It's over forever. Yeah. Yeah, I would really like to see him make a, to, to have leveled up.
1: You would love Dude. to just see him be like, wait, I am stronger and more durable than this guy. I will just pressure the whole time, and I don't
2: care what he does. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I think Ross is a fighter, definitely out of his element if the opponent backs him up, for sure. Yeah.
1: I'm like, and if he does, and if Ross doesn't take a step back, great. Meet him in the pocket,
2: and you know, yeah,
1: just dub- blast double him off his feet. Yeah, Andre, you've got the speed.
2: You know. Yep. I just think it's a career timing thing that has made me. Yeah. Ross.
1: Rodriguez is a favorite He open at minus one eighty three. Is down at minus three thirty three. Ross opened at plus 158, turned currently up at plus 261. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Jamie Malarkey, Francisco Prado. This fight was originally supposed to be Nazrat Hakparast versus Jamie Malarkey, mm. which would be a phenomenal fight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Hakparast needs to beat... Challenges like Jamie Malarkey are exactly the kind of fights that Hakparast loses when he shouldn't. Yeah. And challenges like Nazareth Hawk for Jamie Malarkey are the kind of fights where it's always really fun to see if Malarkey can win. Because he's such a hard-nosed, aggressive, underwhelming athlete who tries hard.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, like, that was an awesome booking. Uh, Francisco Prado, this is me talking about it. He's
2: just going to get mopped. Yeah. Like... Prado... You know the main reason why? Why? His face is too small for his head. <laughs>
1: it is a very small face on a very serious Charlie Kirk syndrome here. That's
2: exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. This is like <laughs> Charlie Kirk's Argentine brother. Yeah, something strange is going on with this guy.
1: But Prado has the look of... He is the kind of guy that if you are a admin dude at American top team or at AKA or wherever else you're going out and you're looking at a dude like Francisco Prado and you're like, you know, we would uh, give you a $500 a month stipend to come here and train and be training partners with some of our other fighters. Mm -hmm. And, get you fights because the kid has all the physical tools. He's got the potential. He's got the toughness. He has the, you know, he he has the will to be a, an aggressive fighter. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He is currently the can crusher that, that crushes can crushers. (laughs) <laughs> on the Argentine regional scene. Like, you look at his record offhand, and you, you, you'd be like, Zane, what are
2: you talking about? Yeah, like, these are all winning opponents.
1: Yeah, he's, he's clearly be, been tested. Uh, he is, you know, uh, he's fighting dudes that are, uh, you know, like, what? Oh, here we go. Fighting dudes that are 13 and 3, 6 and 0, oh, 8 and 2. Like these are the kind for a kid in his first 10 fights, these are the kind mm-hmm. of fights, these are good fights. Then you look, you click Jose Barrios Vargas, 13 and 3. Wins are over guys that are 9-11, 9-11, 3-1, 8-8. Too soon,
2: Zane. Too 1-0. Soon.
1: Yeah. No, he <laughs> And Adrian per- Peroni is six and zero. Oh, his opponents are seventeen and twelve, zero oh and three. Yeah, five. You know, five and one zero and zero zero and zero zero and two.
2: All of he is, his... a, he is a manufactured prospect. Yes, and I don't know. Is... I don't know. Do you think it's? I mean, it has to be deliberate. Like, what is the system going on in Argentine MMA where he's? I, I mean, cultivated I, these like good looking on paper but meaningless wins.
1: There's probably a little bit of actual, you know, underhanded work there, but I would also just say that it's the natural progression of a bad, uh, of a weak regional scene. Yeah. True. Where y- if you want, if you're a guy like Prado fighting in Argentina at home and you're trying to fight the best guys you can find to fight in Argentina you're going to find the dudes that that are winning all the really shitty fights that they take because there are going to be plenty of dudes that are losing all the shitty fights they take sure and then if you're beating the guys that are bad that are the best of the guys that are bad you're going to you're going to put together a record like Prado and that's just going to be the best competition you can find on that regional scene it's also you know you could say well you can be you know like uh Ponzinibbio and go to Brazil Mm -hmm. and fight in deeper water. You know, you don't have to fight on the Argentine regional scene. So that's, that's where the padding comes in. Yeah. Is the satisfaction of being a big fish in a small pond. (laughs) But I don't blame him for it. It got him here. It's just going to get him absolutely crushed by Malarkey because Malarkey as a naturally, hyper-aggressive, will-do-anything kind of fighter. If you can't wrestle, Jamie Malarkey will take you down and out-wrestle you without a moment's hesitation. Mm -hmm. And Francisco Prado cannot wrestle. Yeah, that's Even a little. The losses he has had uh, already in his career, or no, he hasn't had losses in his career, but the fights he's had in his career that are anything other than, like, instant wins... You go back to, like, Diego Baswaldo at Samurai Fight House 3. <laughs> and it's <laughs> Basualdo just owning him on the mat for a whole round. And then Prado hitting a flying knee off a scramble. And th- that being enough to drop him and get him pounding him out. Like, you know. Thing with yeah. fighting can crushers is they have no resistance. They have no knowledge of what to do when the fight gets hard. Yeah, and his opponents—that's what happens. It's like, and, oh, and it
2: yeah. won't just be Jamie Malarkey's wrestling either. I mean, that is the obvious massive gap. Yeah, but, but I think it will just be the attitude of Jamie Malarkey will yes. be a horribly rude awakening. Yeah, because Malarkey is a dude who does not know that he's not good enough. Yeah, to compete at, at, at the highest level, and it allows him to do it. Yeah, uh, He he is a patently aggressive fighter. And yeah. yeah, like he really goes in there like he is like, you know, like God's gift to knockout fans. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think even on the feet, I think it seems quite likely that he is going to shock the hell out of Prado. Yeah. The only two... trouble is he's going to have a hard time hitting him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh... Yeah, no, I don't have a lot to add to that yeah. breakdown. I think uh, we 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 tend we have a way we tend to go with certified can crushers. Yeah, and Prado is nothing if not a slightly sneakier can crusher. Yeah,
1: I, and like I said, I, you know, there's potential there. There's the athleticism. There's the raw aggression. Yeah. There. He looks like a beast. To do something more, it's just it needs more. It, it needs better training. It needs better training. And it needs experience. He's getting, he'll get the experience. Yep. But the training needs to be there. Because right now it's definitely the big fish at a tiny gym that is not teaching him everything. Yeah. Opened it, Prada opened at plus 210, dropped plus 205, currently up at plus 218. Uh, malarkey opened at minus 250 currently minus 270 trending pretty sharply in his favor i yeah i would not be surprised to see malarkey anchoring a lot of parlays as a pretty reasonable value right now Mm
2: -hmm. that makes sense
1: um that brings us to a featherweight bout jack jenkins don
2: shanis both of which sound completely like made-up names (laughs) Jenkins is one like misplaced consonant away from being a Japanese football game name.
1: <laughs> Jock uh, Jenkins.
2: And, yeah, Jom, John, John Jenkins. Um, and and Don Shayness is already there. Yeah. Yeah. These are creative fighter names. Um it, I actually I weirdly really like Jack Jenkins' game. Yeah. So even I mean, though I think it's really dysfunctional.
1: It is single track and it is absolutely yeah. Uh, he has every clue of what he's trying to do. There is yeah. There are no questions with the Jack Jenkins fight.
2: Yeah, I mean, we were talking not long ago about the, uh, the dearth of, like, uh, developed ground-and-pound in MMA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a ground-and-pound specialist. It is. Uh, this is a guy who, it's usually a pretty basic system. Like, you know, as we were saying, it hasn't really gone beyond, like, Tito Ortiz kind of figured it out. Yeah. And that still works. But, uh, yeah, Jack Jenkins is out there doing it. Yeah. Just get into strong positions. This is not a guy who feels that he necessarily has to pass your guard to start beating you up. He doesn't rush too much mm-hmm. in those positions. He's fairly accurate. He picks his shots and crushes people. And um is a decent scrambler while not super quick. He's a he's like a very sticky scrambler. Yeah. because um, I have definitely seen him going for strikes and getting off balanced and you're like, oh, that shouldn't happen if this is your entire game, which it obviously is. But he, he tends to kind of find his way through the scramble. He will find than, a leg, drive through. Um, more than a
1: lot of guys that we compare, make this comparison for, there's a lot of Darren Elkins in, oh, in yeah. Jack Jenkins. And, Absolutely. You know, the wrestling technique is is, is less, is more lacking, because that was always the stalwart part of Elkins yeah. game or early, but even like late Elkins when he didn't have the drive, the leg drive and like, yeah, the, the speed where is just, the goal is to connect part of my body to yours. And if I get that connection, yeah.
2: I will work like hell to make something happen. That is what, what Jack Jenkins reminds me of very much. Yeah. And, um and the wrestling is, is the major reason why that game does not look like more promising. Yes because and again uh, he will also he does other cool things i like with wrestling Mm -hmm. you see some cool foot sweeps you know you see some tricky takedowns like this is a dude who can who can get you down several different ways from the clinch doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be a shot and thank god for him because his shot is terrible yeah he's he's very slow he doesn't seem to really know how to level change
1: yeah this is Um, one of those those things where like i watch tape on jack jenkins i'm like man, this is a super limited game. His opponent is going to blow him up. And yeah. then I watched that tape on Don and I'm like, okay, you know what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but Jack Jenkins is also fun because he you feel that way about a, a portion of every one of his fights until yeah. you see him get to his spots. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, he's actually pretty good. Yeah. But the whole picture doesn't function. Um, and this, is, of course, goes without saying that his striking is largely non-existent. Mm-hmm. And and should probably get blown up by anybody who can keep the fight there. Yeah. But Don, yeah, Don Shahnus loves like getting he loves getting out grappled.
1: <laughs> he really he loves, loves it. it. Really just, just he's got one of those leg scissor fetishes. <laughs> <laughs> he's exercising it through his MMA career.
2: Yeah. I mean, there there is there are very few fights where Sheanus doesn't start off in a good position on the ground just going absolutely insane trying to land shots and isn't, like, swept within, like, 10 seconds. Yeah. He is not a controlled grappler. No. And he nor does he have the control in his striking to stay out of the tie-ups that will lead to a grappling fight. Yeah. So I am definitely picking Jack Jenkins. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be weird and ugly and dysfunctional, but once he gets to his spots, he is going to flatten Don Janus on the ground.
1: Yeah. It, it is... A testament to Shanice's toughness and his oh. uh, desire, I think, probably, mm-hmm. that he has the record he has.
2: Oh, yeah. Like, there is mean, some, more often there than is, not, he just sheer grits his way out of the position he was swept into and then gets swept again shortly thereafter, but he's yeah. definitely a gritty fighter.
1: There is something going on with him. There is a fire burning in him to to be somebody in MMA yeah, and it is keeping him, keeping him trucking, making him a hard fighter to dissuade. Yeah, but um, it is every everything is on the razor's edge. You know, this is not even a like, oh, he's a, just a quadruple A kind of dude who is going to win a lot on the regionals and then can't cut it at the top at, at, at the upper levels. It's just like, yeah. you know, even on the regionals, he is. Like wow,
2: barely scraping by. Yeah, yeah. Why on earth again did they make him fight Sadiq Yusuf in his UFC debut? Uh, He he picked up the phone. I mean, that
1: he was on a five-fight win streak, including a a win over Jay Ellis. (laughs) And he they needed somebody on short notice to fight Yusuf, who was supposed to fight uh, Giga Chikadze.
2: Jay Ellis, by the way, for people who don't know, record currently stands at 16 and 107. Yeah. So if that isn't the definition of a professional opponent, I don't know what is. And, yeah, Shane has picked up the phone, and
1: uh, see he fights out of... He doesn't even fight out of a big gym, so I'm I'm really not sure why he was high on the list of dudes to call.
2: It just seems like a particularly cruel piece of matchmaking. Oh, at least, thought, this at least looks like kind of he was the
1: Cage Titans
2: champ at the time. So, okay, look at it his defenses.
1: The, I know, but it was the UFC taking taking a regional champ on short notice kind of thing. Yeah, but it was a very cruel bad
2: bit of match. Very cruel. At, at least Jack Jenkins looks like the kind of dude he might have fought on the regionals. Like this yeah. isn't a huge leap up from what he, he's capable of winning. So. Sadiq Yusuf is horribly unreasonable matchmaking for him. It really is. No no universe in which he ever beats Sadiq.
1: Odds on this bout: Sheamus is the underdog here, opened at plus two forty, is currently up at plus two eighty one. Jenkins opened at minus three hundred and is currently down at minus three sixty. That gets us to a woman strawweight bout, Loma, Me, Elise Reed, and, uh, you know, this is great booking. This is a well-booked fight,
2: yeah. taking
1: advantage of Me's ability to probably never climb beyond mid-card action fighter in the strawweight division. Yeah. Which I hope they, stay, they should keep her there forever and keep booking her in these kinds of fights forever, because she's fun as hell in these kinds of fights. Yeah. It's just, you know, open an atom weight division for the woman or just keep her around for fun.
2: Yeah. She's right. a, she is a novelty fighter. Basically. That's what she yeah. for. She exactly. has a style that most other people don't have that nobody else in the UFC replicates. And yeah, she's just interesting to watch.
1: Yep. And, uh, yeah, I think she's going to beat Elise Reed. Mm-hmm. Reed is... She has a really good... Like, it's, it's clear that Taekwondo really instilled a sense of motion transfer into her
2: over the years. What do you mean by motion transfer?
1: Like, she or she transfer She can... She can transfer the motion of her feet into the motion of her hands. I mean, it's weight transfer, but like also, you know, she steps really well. She doesn't, yeah. Doesn't necessarily like it, when she's sitting down. I don't know that she necessarily transfers her weight as well as when she's starting you mean, yeah. forward. Yeah. You know? you and it it really. It did her that benefit. And then it's kind of watching her is also then kind of seeing all the other problems with traditional using traditional martial arts as a base. Yeah. For MMA for actually fighting people. Yeah. Because it just doesn't set her up to do anything else. No. She can transfer her weight and her motion into one really big strike. Right. And Every single thing after that is requires a complete full body reset,
2: yeah. And it's not that there's no such thing as a um, she really does look like a taekwondo fighter, yeah. And it's not that taekwondo fighters don't uh do you know their own versions of combinations, yeah. There's some dazzling combinations in like Olympic taekwondo, but uh, these exist at a range where the other person is also trying to do taekwondo, yeah. Uh, and if it, you know, where you can connect like complicated sequences of kicks together. Yeah. And uh, this just isn't really possible when your first strike puts you in a range where your MMA fighting opponent or your kickboxing opponent can just do other stuff to you. I will say, I think like most Loma fights, this is likely to be a lot like closer and tougher for her than it really should be.
1: Yeah, it'll be close. She will, she will get stung at some point. She will. Uh, She still has a really big problem of uh, not have, like I don't even want to say she doesn't have a natural clinch entry because she has natural clinch entries off her punches. But getting into range to punch for her Mm -hmm. means traveling through punching range for her opponent. Yeah. Where she can be lit up on the way. And it's always too that there is just a you know there is the ability for her no matter how good her clinch is to just get out physical in the clinch. Yep. By somebody who can survive her clinch.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If she can I, I doubt that's going to be Elise Reed. But yeah, but it you know it could be almost anyone. You you kind of have to find out in each in each Loma fight, you mm-hmm. know. It's like, oh, is she going to get to the clinch now and just conquer her opponent? Or is she going to get to the clinch now and be able to kind of do something for a minute there, but also struggle?
2: Yeah, it's also like, what does winning the clinch in Muay Thai necessarily mean? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, half the time, Loma will just like dump somebody with like, Mm -hmm. um, and I will say, you know, actually, I was going to say with no intention of falling them to the ground. That's not necessarily true. She just still does that. Yeah, where it's like in Muay Thai, this scores big points. Mm -hmm. Drop somebody on their ass, walk away, look like a badass, you know, don't look at them as they fall to the ground. Action hero shit scores well at Muay Thai. She's
1: doing very well to to dump people right into side control.
2: Yeah, she actually and and has shown some growing aptitude for working on the ground where it's still a problem that she's small but her technical game is definitely expanding to cover that. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of her clinches aren't really uh Prioritizing the same goals that other MMA fighters do in the clinch—that she's not, you know, clinching with Lomo does not mean you're going to get like locked out of the fight for the rest of the rounds. It'll often elbowed a ton. Exactly, it'll be like a you know good position, a couple strikes, and then either a break or maybe she dumps you, and maybe she falls to the ground, maybe she doesn't. Yeah, and then this compounds with the fact that she she has a pretty lackadaisical pace. Yeah. At range combined with a very lackadaisical striking defense.
1: and it's, it's a little troubling in that as well that her, the big thing that she's been doing lately to try and improve her game at straw weight yeah. is bulking. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's going to necessarily help her pace at all.
2: No. Well, yeah. Probably she'll, I don't know, tire out more easily or. But yeah, the, I think her biggest problem is not even just the size. I think she could adapt her game. Yeah, I think so too. To deal with the size. It's not like she's in there just getting completely horsed around. No. Um, A a, a lot of her losses are really more that she can't afford to get horsed around at all because everything else that's happening is really close. She, she just yeah. allows very thin margins. Yeah.
1: I think the problem for Elise Reed is really it's that Melissa Martinez fight. Mm -hmm. really encapsulated everything for Elise Reed that she needs to work on.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because she went out there and she crushed Martinez straight away. You know? Yeah. And she comes back to her corner and she's like, I'm going to knock her out. And she goes to a really hard-fought split decision in the end. Because there's just... There's nothing in a fight, an Elise Reed fight, that Elise Reed can control.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's no connective tissue.
1: Martinez actually ended up outlanding Reed in that fight. After the, you know. And is just, and she, you know, she gives up. She can get held on the fence and just held there. For extended periods, she doesn't really seem to have an idea of what to do out of a clinch. And she can get taken down really easily. And she will, you know, she has some scrambling and some ability to to work to get up off her back from that. But not if her opponent is really dedicated to it. Sam Hughes just blanketed her Mm -hmm. that whole fight. And does Sam Hughes have an actually better top game than Loma Lukbunmi?
2: She's stronger. I think she's bigger and stronger, yeah.
1: But she's not technically better.
2: No, it's not worlds away.
1: So, yeah, I, you know, I I got to take Lukbunmi here. Like mm-hmm. Reed can hurt her in a round, can land some good one-twos every now and then. But if she doesn't put Luke Me away, there's going to be a lot of clinching, a lot of takedowns that Reed is not going to be well set up to defend. Yeah, and just a lot of points where Reed is not doing very much and giving Luke Me a chance to kick and you know keep pace and create her own pace of fight that she wants to have.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the Reed's pace down the stretch, especially, is perfect for Loma because. Yeah that's what she wants is a nice measured striking pace where she can just land the cleaner strikes and, 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 and find her way into the clinch a few times around, um, and, and bank some control time on the ground. Yeah. And, uh, that is also one area where look striking specific experience will really benefit her is that, uh, because, because Reed is a, a dangerous fighter in singular yeah. moments, a dangerous striker. Definitely. Um, but Loma's problem has not been that she's like out there getting hurt and can't recover. She just, yeah. she's, she is a very calm fighter and, you know, has been hurt on the feet many, many times in her combat sports career. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think that's usually Reed's best hope against people is that she's going to overwhelm them with like that first glimpse of speed or power. And then they can't figure out what to do. Yeah. I just don't think that's going to be a problem.
1: No me opened at minus 265, currently out at minus 286. Elise Reed opened at plus 225, bounced up and down to plus 230, is currently at plus 228. Yeah, that's, that's fine, to me, honestly. I mean, maybe a little wide, actually, because me, you know, even, even in fights where she has a serious edge, they're all close. Mm-hmm. So, but... Uh, I still got a picker here. That takes us to a featherweight bout. Shane Young versus Blake Builder. Mm-hmm. And this is a hard fight to call.
2: Yeah, it is. Um. Yeah, I, I, Shane Young is like a better fighter, worse athlete kind of thing for me.
1: Yeah, and, and more in his own head. Mm. I think that there's a lot going on with Shane Young and fighting yeah that is not helpful
2: to him yeah I kind of see what you mean i mean he is he has been um a, a guy who th- there's a vast difference between Shane Young feeling comfortable, yeah and Shane Young feeling like his opponent he has to respect his opponent he really can shut down completely yeah if if um, if,
1: Sh- if Shane Young feels physical physicality coming back at him that yeah. he isn't prepared for he tends to go away
2: yeah the thing is is that builder I'm not very impressed with his game It it is a
1: uh it is an attempt to create a more dynamic and creative game with very few tools.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's
1: trying to have like a really complicated style with basically two winging hooks and a back take game.
2: Yeah. Right. Uh, Yeah. He's like trying to sucker his opponent into making a mistake, you know, out there, you know, moving around. He's one of those guys you take your first glance at him and you're like, this dude is a professional fighter. He's light in his feet. Yeah. Uh, got a good-looking stance, um, you know, moves laterally, doesn't tend to run back in straight lines until a punch comes at him. Yeah. And then he's really, really awkward on defense, just tends to do the thing where he just reaches out with both hands, an instinct which is horribly common at the higher levels of MMA, even though it's like one of the first impulses that should be just burned out of your brain. In your first weeks of striking training, you do not flail with both hands when you don't know what's coming at you. At worst comes to worst, you cover up with both hands. Um, So, yeah, he just reacts really awkwardly. He's prone to, like, turning away from his opponent, trying to get away from them. All of this, like, facade of good footwork kind of collapses. And then, uh, but, you know, he is, he does look like a great athlete. He's yeah. he's he's quick. He's strong, and I gotta think. Looking at the way that, for example, Omar Morales, nobody's idea of like a, a world-beating grappler, was just able to like horse Shane Young off of his feet. Yeah, uh, like within the first couple minutes of their matchup. Um, but I don't know. The the problem I have figuring this one out is that I I, th- I think it takes a bit of aggression to shake Young. It's not just physicality. It's like, you know, making him worry and like Builder does seem like a inherently a pretty passive fighter.
1: He really has a trouble like they say starting slow. And the thing that really seems like it is, is that he actually he has the the he has the kind of starting slow that we used to talk about with. Well, I don't even know. I don't even know how to say it because it's in a way it's like what we used to talk about with Tony Ferguson or with Donald Cerrone.
2: Yeah.
1: Where he pressures a lot, but he doesn't do a lot.
2: Yeah, I just don't think he knows how to like put things together on the feet.
1: So, it it is it is the worst kind of starting slow where he's always moving forward and he's always right in front of his opponent. He's just not doing anything so they just start crushing him. Yeah. You know, you watch that Regivaldo Carvalho fight, and he just got lit up for a round yeah. of that fight. And when he connects, when he actually lets his hands go, he hurt Carvalho immediately. You know, he dropped him like a sack right away when he started letting looks his like hands go. a great athlete. So yeah. Like,
2: but, yeah, I just think he, he just, yeah, it needs to be like... Uh, endlessly convinced to do something or he I think really ideally he wants the opponent to just make some huge unforced error yeah he can capitalize he can hit a quick takedown or tie up and take their back immediately or I think he thinks he's going to counter them but even that it I don't know why where he got that idea because yeah I've never seen him land a counter
1: yeah it's really weird because it is it is the kind of thing it makes me worry a lot about young just going away just drifting out of the fight because Young has a habit of that it can happen to especially against good athletes Mm -hmm. but man is there not a lot going on in Builder's game it is literally like hook, back take those are the two ideas
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and otherwise walk right into danger think i'm gonna take shane young just to you know be at home and not have traveled and be confident feel himself in this fight
2: and like it just feels like a it just looks like a massive physical gap though like, yeah you're right Tennessee's- i, I he's uh, he's he's far far worse uh developed than omar morales but
1: yeah but he did lose to did, young did lose to damian brown at one point
2: yeah but but then even then like it does it's just yeah no good parallel the trial. Brown is, yeah exactly he's a he's a mad dog uh yeah and i don't know that is the difficulty here it just seems like builder should be able to win by accident yeah but like he's just I, gonna I, jump on his back at some point and exactly, yeah, but I just have a hard time saying out. there's zero structure I can envision that leads him there. It's just it might it'll happen, and when the opportunity arises, he'll be ready to jump on it. That doesn't seem like a good reason to pick somebody, but no, but it's the way I'm leaning
1: I'll stick with young, I'll stick with the young pick okay. i'll i'm um, I want Shane Young to be better than he is because he has this when he's feeling it. Yeah. He has this nice off-speed, busy boxing game that he does, where he'll, you know, he'll work behind his jab, he'll throw little combos, and then every now and then he'll sneak in a really serious power shot.
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's I like fun. Shane Young's game, but yeah, I'll stick with Builder. We'll just keep it interesting, I guess. Yeah. Uh, to essentially, yeah, have the win fall into his hands at some point.
1: Builder is the underdog here, surprisingly. Um, well, maybe it's just the home field gambler. Thing. Yeah, that thing. Uh, he opened at plus one ten, dropped to minus one seventeen right away, and has been steadily trending back upward. So he's at plus one thirteen right now. Shane Young opened at minus one thirty, jumped up to minus one hundred seven, and is currently back down at minus one thirty seven. So basically, dead even, slight favorite
2: odds for Shane Young. That's kind of fine because I yeah. just because I I just don't know how the guy I'm picking is actually going to win. <laughs>
1: that brings us to a lightweight bout. Zubar Tukugov. Elves Brenner.
2: <laughs> elves Brenner, his brother, goblins. And, uh, yeah. Sister snow elves. I, I, I don't know. I ran out of fantasy creatures way faster than I should have.
1: Go- goblins Marvin. We can start naming these guys after, like, classic... Hard nosed character actors. Oh, okay. That's a good that's a good way to go. You got your Yul Brenner, you got your Lee Marvin, you got your uh mm-hmm. let's see. Um yeah, oh uh we, we have we, we have uh Trolls Borgnine <laughs>
2: <laughs> Trolls Borgnine oh jesus uh, <laughs> that's really stupid um <laughs> <Ogres McQueen. laughs> what was that where's mcqueen <laughs> yeah uh, centaurs kinski yeah, there we go um okay okay <laughs> Great. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Zubar Judas gonna stomp this dude. I don't yeah, know what is what going this. on with this. Another matchup. Like, why is this the fight you made? Yeah, whose idea was the deal with this? Judas is was, like a very much a proven fighter. Judas was gonna fight Joel Alvarez, who was this gonna be a lightweight bout? I guess that's the explanation. It looks like it was made on short notice. Yeah,
1: he was, and Alvarez pulled out of that fight. That would have been a good fight. Yeah. Yeah. But El, El- Elvez, it's act. I, th- I think it's actually like Elvis or Elvis. Sure, it's Elvis, yeah.
2: Yeah, Elves Brenner. Elvis, um, or or just maybe Elvis is how they say it. I mean, yeah. Elvis is a is a well, name. the
1: Originals. When I heard them pronounce it, it was Elvis. Okay. But Elves Brenner, mm-hmm. um, he's just just bad. This is a case where like. Physically, technically, all the parts are not there. Yeah. You know, there's some aggression there. But, like, this is a guy fully willing to get taken down and work off his back. Does not control positions well when he's on top. Will just step in and Strike doesn't have any range tools. So he ends up trading in the pocket a lot. Yeah, he's, he's tough. The durability's there because he's got three decision losses. He's never been knocked
2: out. Looks like he should be getting knocked out all the time.
1: He, he should be getting knocked out. But basically, even small steps up in competition on the regional scene that he's taken have resulted in him losing fights because there's no structure to his game at all.
2: Yeah.
1: And Zubar Kugov is a massive massive step up in competition.
2: Yeah. He is an insane athlete. He's like, literally this could be one of to bad fights, which also even worse for elves. It seems that to has kind of moved past that period of his career.
1: Yeah. He, he came insane. out against Ricardo. Hamos and was just suddenly small steps working behind the jab, pumping one twos, did throw a little wrestling in when you need it kind of fighter. And it's just like, Oh my God. Yeah.
2: Even before that, it seems problem. like the the, the dude just he got himself a boxing coach or something. Like, yeah, he looks suddenly very structured. That's a terrible sign if that continues. Yeah, for Brenner, but it could be one of the bad Takukov fights, and he would just win it. Yeah, uh, somehow. Yeah, yeah. Brenner Brenner could is be, very much your
1: Philippe Nova fight. Philippe Nover fight, and oh god, yeah, he would still might most likely dog walk Brenner. This yeah. Is... He,
2: He would just land some huge shot at some point or blow him off his feet with 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 a takedown that just occurs to him out of nowhere. Brenner is very much the guy that you expect on like a like a true regional fight card. Yeah. You know, like like a fight, a fight, a a promotion that's like in Cincinnati, northern Kentucky would have this kind of like, yeah, this dude has clearly been training at a gym, but he is not being um, brought along like somebody who has a career. Yeah. So,
1: So, yeah. uh, Odds on the bout. Kugov is a massive favorite, as expected. As he should be. Yeah, opened at minus 500. It's currently back down at minus 567. And Brenner opened at plus 375. It's currently at plus 407. I mean, maybe Brenner can do a whole lot of growing if he gets mm-hmm. some money in his pocket. that Yeah, maybe. Maybe he can do, do some training that he's not getting at the moment.
2: Yeah. But, like there aren't individual things he, he can do kind of well. He has some yeah. good ideas. is just zero structure. Zero structure and
1: an ability to be taken out of the fight in any position. Yeah. It is, you know, range, the pocket on top. When he's on top, any position... That he's in, he can lose that fight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is miserable against Takuga. Like, yeah. That's... All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at these. And Sam. you can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. Find both of us over at com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts. Uh, on Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. Subscribe to our Patreon. I should be leading every episode with this because it is actually important. But if you've listened this far and you're not subscribing already, it's a huge help to us. You know, Bloody Elbow, we're taking the site independent. We are trying to find ways to monetize the work that we've been doing for years. And honest, if I'm being real honest with y'all, The Vivisection, the Sixth Round, these have always been labors of love. Even when we were under Vox, these were not podcasts that we were making because Vox was throwing us money to make these. These have always been things that we've been doing because we love doing them.
2: So A, we would appreciate it. But B, if you have listened this far, you may as well. Yeah. Right? To this undercard, you got all the way to Elves Brenner.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Come on, admit, admit, it. admit that you need us and that it's about us and not about finding the edge on gambling on Zubair to Tukugov. <laughs> all right. On that note, we'll see you all next time. Thanks,
0: everyone. Adios. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro. The MMA Depressed Us, Crookland's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash blog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com.